Hey everyone, my name is Adam and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. At the end of today's episode, please take a minute and download our free Chestnut Ridge app. It has all our recent message content and more. You can also head to theridge.church to get information on service times and get info on everything going on here at the Ridge. We hope this podcast will encourage and inspire you as you continue to grow in your relationship with God and others. When I was in high school learning to drive, I took a driver's ed course, and the first part of the course was a lot of the practical stuff, you know, the parts of the car, the laws or rules related to driving, and and a basic how-to, and then the second half of the course was actually practicing the first part, actually getting on the road. Instructor would be with three students, and that second half of the course was scary. Before we even went on the road, we saw this movie they showed us uh, of these high school students involved with horrible car accidents, blood and all, and it's like, I was scared before I even thought of that, and then I see these pictures, and it's like, it it didn't give me much confidence in terms of driving, just made me more timid. But the other scary thing about the course was actually when we got on the road, these other student drivers. First one was this girl, we were driving along on a side road, and and it was a fairly big road, but um, she drifted over into the other lane, and the the driver almost shouted, get back over, and she couldn't, she just stood there, and she'd taken her foot off the accelerator, and we're just drifting, drifting, it's like we're in the wrong lane. Finally, he reached over, grabbed the steering wheel, brought it back over, and we continued driving, and I thought after that happened, wow, she's horrible really scary. And all of us had our turn to go to the side roads, and then we went to some major roads, and then it was time for the highway. And when when it was time for the highway, the the driver said, Tim, I want you to go first. And I took kind of pride in that, like, he thinks I'm the best driver. And so we started driving on the highway, and everything was going fine initially, but then I saw the semi starting to approach on the right-hand side. I don't know if it was entering the highway or if it was passing on the right because I was going so slowly in the middle, I don't know what. But when I looked over at the semi, unconsciously, my hand went over as well. I started turning the steering wheel and suddenly we were going right for the semi. And the guy almost screamed again. I don't know how anyone can do that job. And he said, you don't don't want to look at over there, you need to look where you're going. Always look where you're going because if you look over there, you're going to hit it. And he was exactly right, and I realized at that point, I too was a scary driver. We do tend to head, though, where we're focused. It does determine the direction of our life, the the way we're focused. And these days, it's awful hard to focus on positive things. I used to like uh, watching the news, and I still want to know what's going on in the news, but I don't enjoy it anymore listening or watching the news anymore because everything's just so, there's just so much bad stuff out there. It's hard to be joy-filled or encouraged if you look at all that's going on. So there's all this news about COVID-19, which has all kinds of other side issues related to it. And, And it fills up the news. You hear stories about global warming and huge wildfires all over the place. When our family went on vacation this summer up in Canada, uh, we were told if we had gone one week earlier, we wouldn't have been able to see the mountains because there had been smoke for weeks. And, and so you read about things like this or hear about this, ransomware attacks that are trying to sabotage our power grid. We've got enemies all over the world, and then our own country, we're divided, and, 
Uh, any of you depressed yet? I mean, you begin to focus on these things. I, th- I think we live in troubling times, and I feel sorry for the younger generation right now because for some, that's all they've ever known, all this bad stuff, and they have access to it. It's just everywhere online, and so I just wonder, how does anyone stay encouraged right now? Today, we're starting a new series titled Finding Joy in Uncertain Times, and we're looking at the New Testament book of Philippians. I actually had another series in mind, but I felt like, no, we need encouragement. In the book of Philippians, one of the main themes is joy, but what's interesting about the book to me is that when Paul wrote it, he was in prison, and and he didn't have a lot of reasons maybe to be joyful. I mean, he had some, we'll see, but but from the midst of that, he wrote this book, and it demonstrates to me that it's possible to be joy-filled despite what you're facing in your world today. Now, today, I specifically want to talk about how the gospel is good news. Really, it's great news, the gospel message, because Philippians 1 talks a lot about this gospel being good news. And, of course, the word gospel means good news. Now, let let me set up the context a little bit of the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul was involved with what have been called three missionary journeys. He and some others took these trips, and it was like a big loop, and he, three times, he left home, and he visited various, various cities, and he planted churches there, and then he went back and, and strengthened the churches that he had started. So these are called the three missionary journeys. And in the book of Philippians, uh, the, the church in Philippi was started during his second journey. On this particular journey, he took with him a handful of friends of his. He took Timothy, a young man. He took a, a doctor by the name of Luke. Uh, Luke was the author of the Gospel of Luke plus the book of Acts, so he writes firsthand about their experiences. And then there was a leader by the name of Silas and plus some other leaders. But they made their way to Philippi, which is located in what is now modern-day Greece. And when they arrived in the city, they discovered there was no Jewish synagogue. Paul's habit was when he arrived in a city to go on the Sabbath day and share the gospel in the synagogue, but there weren't any there, which indicates that there weren't, there weren't a lot of Jewish people in the, in the town. And so Paul guessed correctly that if, if they weren't going to be meeting together in the city, that they probably would be meeting together outside the city by the river. Seems like this is what a lot of, of people, Jewish people were doing when they didn't have a synagogue in the city. They didn't want to meet in the city. Sometimes it wasn't even safe to do so. So they went out of the city, and they went by the river there. And so Paul and his friends went there, and, and they began to share the gospel. And at the time he shared the gospel, it says, really, there, it seems like there are only women there. And the first person who responded to the message was a woman named Lydia. She was a seller of purple cloth, and she said yes to Jesus, and then their whole family put their faith in Christ, and these were the first believers in Christ in that whole region. Well, Paul started going regularly there during the hour of prayer or on the Sabbath day, and one day when he went down to the river there, he encountered this fortune teller who had within her a demonic presence. And I believe, by the way, that angels and demons do exist. She, she was kind of possessed by this demonic presence, and that gave her the ability to predict the future. She was a slave girl, so she was owned by some other people who earned a lot of money through her prophecies. 
And this woman began to follow Paul and Silas as they were sharing the gospel. We read in Acts 16, 17, though, that she became a nuisance. As she was following Paul and us, she cried out, these men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are slaves of the Most High God. She kept saying that. These men, they're proclaiming the way of salvation. They're slaves of the Most High God. What's interesting is what she's saying was true. They were slaves of the Most High God. They're, they're viewed a life as I'm yours to God. And their message was the way of salvation. Salvation just means deliverance. And they were telling people how to be delivered from the penalty of their sin, how to get right with God. So what she was saying was correct. So what was it a, why was it a problem? Well, Dr. Toussaint notes, though her statements were true, the gospel of Christ would be damaged by an association with a demon-possessed slave girl. In other words, because of who she was, it was going to undermine the message. It was going to make the message so it wasn't so unique because she's the one saying it as well, whatever. Well, she did this day after day, and Paul showed a tremendous amount of patience, but at a certain point, he just turned around, and he addressed the demon within her, and he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out from her, and immediately the demon left. And immediately, her ability to tell the future or provide fortunes for people was gone. And when the, the ones who were getting all the money from her, realized this. They got angry and they arrested Paul and Silas. They must have been the two main speakers. And they brought them before the magistrates in Acts 2, verses 20 and 21. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, these men are seriously disturbing our city. They're Jews and they're promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. It was a lie. The whole accusation was wrong. They, they weren't at least representing themselves as Jewish. They were, they were Christians. And what they were teaching was not illegal. But it stirred up the crowd. The next verse we read, 22, it says, And the mob joined in the attack against them. They became a mob. And chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods after they had inflicted many blows on them, they threw them in jail, ordering the jailer to keep them securely guarded. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. Now, all of this is important as we talk about the, the, this chapter one in the book of Philippians because we need to understand the founding of this church was under very difficult circumstances. This says they were beaten with rods, but some translators put it, they were severely flogged. They had cuts on their back. We, we know they were cleaned later by the jailer. And so we find these guys in prison, and they were placed in stocks. That doesn't sound very comfortable. In chains. Their response was remarkable, though. We read in verse 25 of Acts 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. I find this remarkable. I don't feel like singing if I've got a cold. <laughs> you know, you don't feel good. They're singing, they're praising God. I, I, I guarantee you no one had ever seen anything like that that heard it and witnessed it. Certainly not the prisoner, certainly not the jailer. Nobody, nobody does this that was beaten the way they did. And one thing we need to understand is when life is hard for us and everyone knows we're going through a hard time, our response is a tremendous 
statement to our faith. But anyway, at this point in the story, God intervened in verse 26. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's chains came loose. Now, as soon as this happened, the jailer woke up, and he saw the doors open, and the people's chains had come off. He assumed they disappeared. They ran for their lives, and so he went and pulled out a sword, was going to take his own life. Sounds extreme, but in Bible times, if you were guarding someone and they escaped, it was your life for theirs. And he wasn't going to be mistreated by the commander and the other soldiers and then killed. He said, oh, it'd just be easier just to take my own life. That's what he was going to do. But then Paul called out to him and said, don't harm yourself. We're still all here. We pick up the story in verse 29, and the jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas, then he escorted them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's the most important question anyone can ever ask. I, I can't think of a more important question. What do I need to do to be saved? How do I get right with God? Something about this whole situation caused him to be aware of his sin. I'm sure he'd been listening to Paul and Silas. He'd seen their faith in action. He knew they had something he wanted Maybe it was even the earthquake itself, which in Bible times, people would interpret those things as God is speaking. Whatever, he, he, he realized at this point, I'm in trouble, I'm a sinful person. What must I do to be saved? And this gets to my takeaway here today related to the gospel message and joy. My takeaway is that we have, we have the gospel and it really is good news. We have a message that's life-giving that makes all the difference in the world, this good news, this gospel. And Paul responded to this jailer in verse 31. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus, Paul and Silas. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. This is how a person gets right with God. I'm convinced it's the only way anyone can get right with God. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to get to the Father, you want to get to God, you got to go through Jesus as the door. Paul said elsewhere in Acts, there's salvation or deliverance from sin and no one else. There's no other name under heaven by which we must be saved except through Jesus. He's the one. That jailer believed the message that very hour. He took Paul and Silas, brought them home. They shared the message with his family. All of them responded to the message with faith, putting their trust in Jesus Christ. That very hour of the night, the middle of the night, they went out and were baptized into the name of Jesus, placed into Jesus' name. And then the story ends in verse 34 of chapter 16. He brought them into his house. He set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had believed God with his entire household. That's the gospel brings great joy. When we put our trust in Jesus Christ, it makes a big difference. Now, all this happened in AD 50. And the church took off after this, because I think the officials kind of kept their hands off of this thing, because they got in trouble. The next day, Paul and Silas were released, but they realized they made a huge mistake in beating Paul. They were not legally allowed to do that. He was a Roman citizen. But the gospel thrived and the church thrived. Now we fast forward a dozen or so years. It's AD, 19, or 
AD 61 or AD 62, Paul's in prison again. He's in prison many times, but he's in prison again. This time he was in Rome. And the Philippians, now a 12-year-old church, knowing that he was in prison, wanted to send him some encouragement. They wanted to find out how he was doing, and they wanted to send him some money. And the reason they wanted to send him money was because if you were a prisoner in Bible times, if you had the resources, many times you could upgrade your accommodations. You could actually eat good food and some other things. That was just how their system worked. And so they were sending money through a young man named Epaphroditus to Paul to to just help him with his circumstances to be more comfortable while he was in prison there. So the book of Philippians is primarily a, a thank you letter. But it's also a letter that he wanted to express to them that even though I'm in prison, I'm, I'm filled with joy. And the whole book is about joy. Joy is a key word in the book, so is the word gospel. And they go hand to hand. We have the gospel, and it really is good news. Now, I mentioned earlier that the word gospel means good news. When the word was originally used, though, it, it didn't have spiritual connotations as it does today. In the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary, we read that the noun euangelion, which is gospel, uh, originally signified an announcement of victory after battle, and later the content of that message. Let me stop for a moment, but when somebody came back from battle and said, we won, that announcement was called gospel. But then it came to mean the, the message itself. Whatever was being delivered, if it was good news, it was called gospel. But then they go on to say the term also came to describe the birth or the rise to power of a new king. And that's how it was used in the time of Jesus when Jesus began his ministry. If a new emperor was installed, that was called the gospel. I hear ye, hear ye. It's a new king. When Jesus used the word gospel, he was referring to that. The good news, it's called, of the kingdom of heaven. He came preaching the good news of the kingdom of God. He came announcing that he was the king. And anyone that puts their trust in Jesus Christ becomes part of his spiritual kingdom. If you know Christ, you're part of his kingdom. And that's how Jesus used the term gospel. When Paul used it, he almost always used it in terms of the particular message that needs to be believed if a person is to get right with God. And what is the message? Well, it's the message he shared with the jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That all have sinned and we all fall short of God's standard of righteousness. We can't fix it. God sent his only son into this world, the sinless son of God and God the son, to live a sinless life so he could die in our place. And for everything we've done wrong. And he was buried and three days later rose again and it shows the payment was accepted. God accepted the payment Jesus made on your behalf and mine. And then we receive this forgiveness when we put our trust in Jesus. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Whoever puts their trust in Jesus Christ. This is the good news. Now in the short time that we have left here this morning, I want to jump briefly into the book itself. We discover that Paul begins this particular book and it's called a book, but it's actually a letter. Most of the New Testament books are actually letters written to somebody. And he starts it the way normal letters in Bible times would have been started. He introduces the writers, he introduces the recipients, and he has a greeting. 
And so beginning in verse 1, we read, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints, or call the part ones, set apart ones in Christ Jesus, or believers, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul is writing this letter with Timothy. The recipients are the believers who lived in the city of Philippi. They were part of the church there, plus their leaders. And then he gives them this greeting, and this greeting is the first point I want to make about why the gospel is good news. He says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and Jesus Christ. My first point, we have peace with and from God because of the gospel. When we respond to the gospel message, we have peace with God. We have peace that comes from God. Paul talks about both in this letter. But the peace with God is a huge component of this. The word peace has the idea, by the way, of bringing together two things that are apart. And so when we put our faith in Christ, we have peace with God. Now, why this is such good news is regardless of what's happening in your life, regardless of what's happening in the world, if you've, if you've received the gospel, you have God. I mean, the apostle Paul said, I'm sorry, Jesus said to his um, disciples, he said, rejoice in this, that your name is written in heaven. I mean, if that's true, if you know God, you have something to have joy about. And I, this, many times in my life, I've gone through some difficult time, and my focus was on all that. And then at a certain point, I thought, I at least know God. I have a relationship with God. You know, this world is not my home. One day things will change, but I know God. And that's the first good news. The second reason it's good news is found in verse 3. He says, I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy, that's our key word, for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Through the gospel, we not only have peace with and a peace that comes from God, he's able to give you that peace. Don't be anxious for anything, he writes later in the book. But give it to God in prayer, and the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds. Give it to your God, the one with whom you're at peace. But then he talks about being part of community here. Paul was alone in prison, but he understood he wasn't alone, and that's huge. When we're going through difficult times, if, if we don't realize that there are others that we can share this with, I talked about this in the Relevance series to say, you know, that the church can become for us or other believers become for us the family we never had and what a difference it makes. On Friday of this past week, I headed up north to visit one of my brothers in northern Ohio because another brother was coming from the Chicago area, so they were going to be together. And we thought, well, let's, well I'll just go up there. And, and so my two brothers and their wives and my wife, we just were together for about a day, just about a day. It was wonderful. We talked about old times and things that happened. In fact, some of these stories I'll probably share with you because every time we get together, we tell things like, oh, I didn't realize that happened. I didn't know that that's how that unfolded. But we've got a shared history, a way of thinking, a way of viewing things, and no matter what, we're family. And as believers in Christ, we have this. And you get a sense of Paul's view of these Philippians, beginning in verse 8. He says, God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the very affection of Christ Jesus. That's how much I love you. And then I, he said, I pray this, that your love will keep growing, guided by knowledge and discernment. 
You, you grow in your love for me. I love you. You love me. And if we're part of this, we better keep this in mind, by the way, if things get worse in the world. Because in Hebrews, it says we're going to need to encourage one another all the more as the day draws near. We're, we haven't seen anything yet. But we need other people. Third reason the gospel is so wonderful is we have a promise from God. And the specific prom- promise is that he's, he's with you. He's for you. He can help you. In Philippians 1.6, we have one of the key verses in, in the whole book. Paul writes, I'm sure of this, that he who started a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I am confident that God who begins things will finish them. If God begins something in your life, he's going to finish it. That's the assurance you have. That your God is with you. In the next chapter, he talks about how God is in us. I mean, Philippians 2.13, God is working in you, enabling you both to desire and to work for his good pleasure. God inside of you is giving you the desire to do the right things and the power to do the right things. He is working within us. Hebrews 13, 5, he will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, this is important because sometimes when we go through hard times, we think, where's God? And we think maybe God isn't for me. God doesn't love me anymore. And no, God who began something in you, he's gonna keep doing it. I don't know why God says no sometimes to our prayers. Because for me, some of the hardest things I struggle with is when I ask God for something really meaningful, and it seems like he says no, and then I'm wondering, where are you? But we have a promise from God. He won't leave you. If you, again, if you have God in your life, you got what you need. If God is for you, who can be against you? And then one final point I want to make, but before I do, let me mention what he talks about in verses 12 through 20, which you can read on your own. The Philippian believers were concerned because they felt like his imprisonment was imprisoning the gospel message. There he is in chains. He should be out preaching, but he couldn't do that. But in those verses, 12 through 20, Paul assures them, actually, quite the opposite has happened. He, he had Praetorian guards, important official guards, watching him, who would hear the gospel, and then they'd go back and tell others, and this message was going throughout the place. But also, believers in Christ were encouraged by his imprisonment to be bold. Now, you'd think it would have the opposite effect, but it didn't. It made them more bold. They said, you know, Paul's in prison for preaching. We better go out and do it ourselves. And so Paul wanted to assure them, yeah, the message is, is, or I'm here, but the message isn't here. It's not chained anyway. It's not locked up in this room. It's going out boldly. The last point I want to make why the gospel is good news, and there are more things than this besides the peace we have with and from God and being part of this community and a promise from God, but we have this purpose for living, which is Christ himself. You know, when I talked about the church, I said one of the purposes of the church is the gospel, but here it's Christ, living for Jesus Christ in whatever we do. He says in verse 21, for me, living is Christ and dying is gain. That's, that's it. His whole purpose for living or dying was Jesus. He goes on to explain why this is so powerful. He said, if I, am I, if I keep living, I'll serve Jesus by helping you in your faith, Philippians. But he said, if I die, I get to go see Jesus. And then he goes on to say, I'd rather die. I'd rather be with Jesus. But as he thought through it, he realized God's not done with him yet. 
And so he told the flea, I'm sure I'm going to see you again. But whether I live or die, it's great. It's wonderful no matter what because if he's our purpose, so what about all the other stuff? You have Jesus and he's with you. Now, I think our life is really wrapped up in the gospel because the gospel message encompasses everything of what it means to be a Christian. All kinds of things are wrapped up into these things, starting with peace and this part we have in this community or partnership we have, the promise that we have from God to not leave you and, and the, the purpose for living which gives us encouragement. And because all these things are true, toward the end in verse 27, he writes just one thing, live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That's what I want you to do. Live worthy of this so that whether I come and see you or if I remain absent, I'll hear about you that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind working side by side for the faith that comes from the gospel. So let me close by asking some questions here today. What is your focus today? Is it on all the negative stuff in this world? I mean, I think we need to be reflecting sometime. Where are we getting our joy or what is stealing our joy? What are we looking at? Where's our attention? And where should our focus be? And I think it's on bigger things. Paul says in the next chapter, our citizenship is in heaven. We're eagerly waiting for our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one that we're living for. And if that's the case, then all this stuff can come and go. And I think it's possible for us to have joy. Now, I want to encourage you throughout this series to read ahead. So this coming week will be in, Lord willing, Philippians 2, 1 through 11. I'd encourage you to read it several times this week. And as you read it, I want to encourage you actually to do three things. One is read it. Number two, reflect on it. Just meditate on it a little bit because we'll talk about it next week. And then third, respond. Come up with some response to it. Like, because of this, this is true. How does God want me to respond? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the joy that we have because of Jesus and because of you and because of the good news of the gospel. It is really good news. Sinful people are made right with you, and now we, we have a secure eternity, but also in the presence of the Lord. We have you and your presence within us. We have the ability, O oh Lord, to be joyful despite what we face and to realize if you're for us, we don't have to worry about the things that are going on in this world. Help us, O oh Lord, to fix our focus in the right place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.